0: Hi, this is Gary Meese, back with episode 40 of The Case Against. Uh, As some of you know, uh, the podcaster Bob Ruff, has the truth and justice, the ill-named truth and justice podcast, is going to be having an oxygen um, show over two nights this coming weekend. March 28th and 29th and he's also going to be podcasting his version of events with the West Memphis Three. Uh, He's basing a lot of his the premise of his podcast on the idea that uh, Damien Echols had these ironclad alibis and so therefore he couldn't possibly have committed the crime which honestly is Kind of brilliant in the, in the sense, and there's nothing else brilliant about Bob Ruff, but he, it does sort of bypass. He doesn't have to answer a lot of other questions that may come up. If this, if his alibis, simply prove he could not have committed the crimes, then he's good to go, and he was uh, wrongly convicted. But as with almost all things with Bob Ruff. He simply got it wrong. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to go into what I wrote uh, in my book, Where the Monsters Go, about one of the alibis. I don't know if I'm going to finish it tonight because the chapter's kind of long. And it's kind of detailed, and some people have complained, oh, it's, you got this phone call and that phone call and that phone call and that phone call. And then you go back again, and this phone call, that phone call, that phone call, that phone call. Well, you know what? If, if you're going to lay out the evidence, you simply have to lay out the evidence, and it may take a while. So this may take may take me two episodes to do this, and it may take me another couple of episodes to, to- totally debunk his other alibi, uh, and then maybe I'll maybe I'll go on to. Get into the uh, Miskelly alibis, which are even more complicated. If that's possible, uh, Eccles' alibis are fairly simple by comparison, just because he has fewer people involved. But he has enough to make them pretty complicated. And I think you'll see that to make it br- to make it brief is uh, is at least as far as the phone call, the so-called phone call girls. He doesn't have an alibi with phone call girls. So the idea that he does is simply fallacious. And Ruff is either too dishonest to recognize that or he's too stupid to recognize it. And I think there may be a combination of those two things. Anyway, uh, I'm just gonna start off and I'll, I'll keep going till I wind down on this. The most easily debunked lie among the various alibis claimed by Damien Eccles was that he was on the telephone all evening with four girls, and he tells this story frequently. Now, there's a little bit of truth there. Uh, Eccles wa- apparently was on the phone with at least three girls that night, but not from roughly 4:30 in the afternoon until about 9:30 that evening, spanning the time when he killed Stevie Branch. Chris- Chris Byers, and Michael Moore. And this was on May 5th, 1993 in West Memphis, Arkansas. Uh, Jason Baldwin has claimed, uh, yeah, little technical glitches here. Jason Baldwin has claimed that he was also talking to some of those girls. None of the girls had said Baldwin was talking to her at any time close to the probable times of the murders, which were roughly between 6.30 and 8.30 p.m. Statements from these phone call girls, given independently and repeatedly over many years, provided evidence that Eccles was not at home before at least 9.30, 9.20 p.m. or so, and possibly arrived home much later. Several statements indicated that he was with Baldwin that evening. The girls, often described as crucial witnesses whom the defense failed to call to testify, offered no alibis to Eccles or Baldwin. And of course this raises the question, if they were such good alibi witnesses, why didn't the defense not call them to the stand? And the answer is, it's because they're not good alibi witnesses. Uh, Heather Dawn Quiet, Baldwin's girlfriend, routinely has been identified as one of the phone call girls. Uh, Eccles testified that he talked to her that night. Interstatement on June 7th, 1993, which is just four days after uh, Eccles... J- Jason uh, Baldwin and Jesse Muskelly Jr. were arrested. Uh, Heather told police that she was not able to get Baldwin on the phone that afternoon or evening, despite several tries, and did not find Eccles at home until about 10.30 p.m. She told officers that Jason was with Damien that evening. Unlike the other girls, Heather talked to investigators just days after the arrest, and only a month or so after May 5th. Now, one of the objections to, uh, one of the problems with the stories about the phone call girls is if Jennifer, if Damien Eccles was talking on the phone to any of the girls at, say, 9.30 at night, he couldn't have been on the side of the road and been spotted by the Hollingsworth family in muddy clothes with somebody else, maybe Jason, maybe somebody else, maybe uh, the Hollingsworths thought they saw Dominique. I can't prove or disprove. I, I, I just take their word for it that that's what they thought they saw, who they thought they saw, and they did know Dominique. They were sorta, kinda, sorta, kinda related to her, not really by blood or marriage, but they thought they were related to her. Uh, And that was at nine thirty. So if Heather was an eight A- who is was closest to the time the first phone call girl talked to says that Eccles was not on the phone until ten thirty PM that night, that would explain much. It would explain why it was possible that yeah, he could have been on the side of the road at nine thirty that night and still talked to Heather Clyde at p.m. Uh, She described phone calls that evening from Holly George in a handwritten statement on June 8th, which was five days after the arrest. Around 9 p.m., I was talked to a friend. I talked to a friend from Bartlett, Holly. We tried to get a hold of Michael Wayne, Damien Eccles, from then until around 10.30 p.m. when we finally got in touch with him, exclamation mark. I didn't really get to talk to him aside from hi, then him and Holly started talking to, about Jennifer, Damien's other girlfriend, so I let them go, exclamation mark. The next day, Holly told me that Damien said he had just been out walking around. She also told me that Damien and her were talking about trying to get him and Jennifer together. Now, according to Holly, according to Jennifer, Holly told her that Damien said that he had just been out walking around that evening. In other words, he was not over at the, he was not at home, he was not at the Sanders household. The reason they could not get him on the phone until 10.30 p.m. that evening was because he was out walking around. Okay, it sounds reasonable to me. In an undated statement from 1993, Heather gave a similar account. And mind you, we're going to be somewhat repetitious with this, but I'm going to give a full record of this. There's going to be some contradictory statements from various people, and They even contradict themselves at times on minor details, which is what happens when people give statements to police or to anybody else. They don't tell the same exact story all the time, but there are crucial details in here. Times do matter. If Damien didn't get home until 10.30 that evening instead of 9.30, that means he had plenty, plenty of time to be spotted on the side of the road by the Hollingsworth family. And Heather is giving her account months earlier than the accounts that came from Jennifer Bearden or Holly George. In an undated statement from 1993, Heather gave a similar account. Later, quote, later that evening I received a girl, a call from a girl that I know as Holly who lives in Bartlett, Tennessee and has a friend named Jennifer who also lives in Tennessee. I met Holly and Jennifer at the skating rink in West Memphis a few months before. Holly must have a party line because when she called me, Jennifer was on the phone with her. Holly called me at about 9 p.m. and I stayed on the phone with her until about 10.30 p.m. After a while, Jennifer got off of the phone. <coughs> at about 10 p.m., Holly called Damien his number. And Damien's mother got on the phone and said something to the effect she didn't want young girls to be calling Damien at 10 o'clock at night. Damien got, on, got the phone away from his mother and he told Holly to call back in a few minutes. So now he's home by 10 p.m., which still leaves him time to be spotted by the Hollingsworth family at 9.30 p.m. And that they, they evening, walking along in muddy clothes just a short distance from the murder scene. I would call back while I was still on the phone at about 10.15 or 10.30, and Damien got on the phone. They were talking between themselves and began talking about how Damien wanted to get together with Jennifer. I listened to them for a few minutes and said I had to go. On Friday, 5 that would have been May 7th, the day after the bodies were found, I talked to Holly at the skating rink and asked her where Damien had been on Wednesday when they were trying to call him, and she stated that Damien had been out walking in the neighborhood. I assumed that the neighborhood she was talking about was around Ingram Street. Holly is a friend of Damien, and she was trying to get Jennifer and Damien together. About one month ago, Jennifer and Holly came back to the skating rink, and Jennifer told me that Jesse Miskelly, Murray, and Dominey are the ones who had actually killed the boys. Okay. They assumed uh, that... She assumed that the neighborhood that... Holly was talking about Damien walking around was around Ingram Street. Ingram Street is the, is the closest major street <coughs> to the uh, killing site. There's seventh, seventh Avenue on one side, Ingram Boulevard on the other, and the kill site, the murder sites, roughly between those two things. Ingram Ingram Boulevard is where Algy Hollingsworth went into the laundromat to see his ex-step grandmother, uh, Dixie Huff, Hufford, who was also uh, who was also the object of the Hollingsworth trip. They were going to, to Ingram, the laundromat, to pick up. Uh, Dixie Hufford. So this all ties in together. Damien's out walking around Ingram Street. In other words, he's walking around, not very, if he's walking on Ingram Street, not around, but on, he's walking not very far from the murder site. If he's walking around Ingram Street, Ingram Boulevard, he's basically walking, he could be walking right past the murder site, which is what he was doing at 930 that evening. He's not talking about being at the Sanders' home, and he's not talking about talking to other girls on the phone at home. we were trying to get in hold of him, and they weren't able to get a hold of him till 10, 10 or 10.30 at night. The, the, the description of Eccles walking in the neighborhood of Ingram Boulevard, not far from where the Hollingsworths spotted him leaving the murder scene, presumably in the company of Baldwin, fortified the case against him and in April 24th 2008 affidavit Heather Dawn Hollis who's the married name of the former Heather Quiet told a very different story it's a very very different story I recall being on the phone with Jason and Damien the night the three boys disappeared it was late at night and I was in bed acting as though I was asleep my recollection was that I was on the phone with one or both of them until about 12:30 a.m. or to 1 a.m. That would have been the very early. That would have been the early morning. Oh, sorry. That would have been the early morning hours of May 6, 1993, which was the day on which I found out that Chris Byers had been found dead. Well, aside here, uh, now, Heather is Baldwin's girlfriend. She's also a neighbor and friend of the Byers family. She's also a neighbor of the Moore family as well, Michael Moore's family. She lived in that neighborhood. So the, the, the death of Christopher Byers affected her personally. It wasn't just something she just heard about. This was the death of a... Young child that she knew personally and considered to be a friend. Just to be clear about this, uh, Heather goes on. My memory was that during at least some of the phone conversation, Jennifer Bearden had been connected by, by my three-way calling system, and that she talked to Damien Eccles. <coughs> I would used to be. I used to view Jennifer Bearden as. Damien's other girlfriend. I was aware that Damien was going out with Domini at the time. (coughs) Excuse me. I don't have coronavirus. I just have a cough. Uh, Let's to be clear about this. Jennifer Bearden is Damien's other girlfriend. He's 18 years old. She's 12. Uh... To say Damien was going out with Dominey at the time might be a bit of an understatement and that Dominey was pregnant with his child at the time. She was 16, he was 18. After the killings happened, I had a number of contacts with the investigating police officers. I told them about having been on the phone with Jason and Damien that night. My memory is that the police were not really interested in my account of the phone calls. I also explained to them that I was on the phone very late that night and that I used a pillow to hide the fact that I was on the phone from my mother who used to look in on me from time to time in my bedroom. Now, we have records of her contacts with the police, uh, interviews, handwritten notes, and there's no evidence that they weren't interested in her account of the phone calls just that her account of the phone calls differed from uh, what she told later she came up with, you know, in 2008. (laughs) Which is many years later. Heather had left two handwritten notes, an undated statement, and an interview with the lead detective in 1993. Her first mention of a phone call with Baldwin on May 5th was in the 2008 affidavit. The rest of the 2000 affid- 2008 affidavit threw open the question of the veracity of her statements from 1993. I was driven to the police station by my mom. We, they talked to me at some length. I, re- remember them, I remember telling them either on that occasion or some other time, that I had been on the phone with Damien and Jason the night the three boys disappeared. My memory is that Holly George was not on the three-way call that I arranged. I did not really like Holly at that point, and I would have been more comfortable, much more comfortable, talking with Jason, Jennifer, and Damien. I believe that I told police that Holly George was with me on the phone with Damien and Jason on the night the three young boys went missing, and May of 1993. I was not on the phone with Holly that night. The reason I did not tell the truth to the police was that Jennifer was my best friend at the time, and she had asked me not to tell the police that she had been on the calls with Jason and Damien. Jennifer told me she was worried about what her mother would do if she found out that Jennifer's name had come up as being on the calls. So after the police asked me to name who was on the calls, I gave them Holly's name instead of Jennifer's. I know that at the time that I was questioned by the police, people around me who knew, who knew I knew Jason and Damien were very upset. John Mark Byers had told me at one point after the killings that I was not welcome in his home anymore. It may be that when the police talked to me, I played down the amount of time that I had spent on the phone, but I believe I did tell police officers that I had spent a lot of time on the phone with Damien and Jason the night the three kids were killed. She wrapped up the affidavit with had I been called to testify at the time of the trials of these cases, I would have been able to testify about my recollection of events, the phone calls I have described here, and other matters that I knew about. And mm, she would have been of no help to the defense whatsoever. Uh, Police led a police investigator to the crime scene early in the investigation, as she lived in the neighborhood and was familiar with the murder site. Heather was friends with the Byers family. Now, it's notable here that she changes the identity of, of whom she was talking to. She says she really wasn't talking to Holly, she was talking to Jennifer. Now, this is 2008. She's got time to revise the time that she was taught that she and Jennifer and not Holly were talking to Damien on the phone, but she doesn't do that so yeah it's not Holly that she was talking about it's Jennifer she was trying to cover for her little twelve year old friend who was she was trying to get together with eighteen year old J- Damien Eccles who was. You know, had a 16-year-old pregnant girlfriend, but he was interested in these other girls, these 12-year-old girls, too. Um, And she thinks she told the police that she spent a lot of time on the phone with Damien and Jason the night the three boys were killed. She may believe that, but the, the documents suggest no such thing. I think I'm going to leave it there for right now. Uh, Heather Clyatt, I made contact with her uh, in the process of writing the book and asked her to explain, and it would be interesting to see Bob Ruff do this with some of the uh, these witnesses. He won't do it, I don't think, but maybe he will. We'll see. He Certainly hasn't done much of it so far, but I asked her to explain to me the discrepancy between her 2008 statement and her 1993 statement. Her response was she was gonna threaten to sue me for printing, (laughs) for putting putting this in print. Uh, It's in her own words, it's not liable. I don't know what basis she would have for suing me. Uh, I'm not calling her a liar. I'm just saying that these statements aren't compatible. Something's not right here. So, you know, she has an opportunity to straighten it out. She can still straighten it out. If she wishes to. What is the truth here? Who were you talking to? What time was it? I will say this, that the idea that... uh, just on the basis of Heather's statement alone (coughs) that uh, Damien has an ironclad uh, alibi on the basis of talking to the phone call girls is just simply not true. The one girl they talked to very soon after the arrest says she didn't talk to him until 10 or 10.30 that night. She wasn't talking to him at she didn't say anything about talking to him at 7 or 7.30 or 8. And, in fact, she indicate, she says he wasn't at home. And then he was out walking. or He told her, which is all we have to go by is what he tells her, because she wasn't there. All she can go by is what he said to her. He was out walking around in the neighborhood, the neighborhood being Ingram Boulevard, the neighborhood more or less of Robin Hood Hills. Where the murders occurred, and where he was spotted walking along the side of the road by the Hollingsworth family. That's enough for this episode. We'll get into the other phone call girls and the other alibis in future episodes. Thank you. Thank you.